All right, so you've gotten a little bit of a sense of the bigger parts of the solar system way out there past Mars. Well, today's message is a little different. Uh, today's message is a get-you-thinking type sermon. Today's message is a get-you-thinking-about-God a little bit more biblically sermon. It's a get-you-to-see-who-God-for-who-God-is kind of message, not necessarily who we've made him out to be culturally. Um, it's common today in America to hear people talk about God as their friend, and that's right and true. Um, you can even buy T-shirts that says, Jesus is my homeboy. You know it. How, how would I do the thing, Katie? Don't even try, she says. Okay. These days in the church, we tend to emphasize the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And if we don't, atheists and anti-Christians are very quick to say, hey, Christians, don't judge. Don't you be talking about that terrifying stuff. Love, love your neighbor. And they're right to point that out. A generation ago, there was a New Testament scholar called J.B. Phillips, and he wrote a book, and the title of the book was, Your God is Too Small. And I think that's our tendency. I think our tendency over time is to take a really big, awesome, terrifying God and shrink him down and make him more like us, a little bit easier to understand and easier to manage. The Bible has a word for those efforts on our part. It's called idolatry. But don't tell anyone else. Uh, today, I want to remind you, if I can, and my, remind myself just how big God is. In the National Geographic uh, clip you just saw, the narrator is trying to show us how big our solar system is. And yet, outside of our solar system, we're part of the Milky Way galaxy, which is huge. And then you get outside of that and to go to the Andromedon galaxy, which is the next closest galaxy, it's unfathomable. The universe itself, in terms of its size, is unfathomable in terms of how big it is. I can't even get my brain around it. I've tried. I've been on the NASA website with Hubble, and I'm trying, clicking through, and it's, it doesn't compute my head. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had something to say about this, and it's found in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. He says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who, can, uh, who, who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Paul breaks out in a little bit of poetry and if you know anything at the bi about the Bible, that's just weird. Paul is a geek. He's an egghead. If you study Greek and you read Paul, he has these sentences that go on forever and it's hard to translate. And he uses words that are technical. Peter himself in the book of Acts said this. Yes, he writes things that are difficult to understand. And Peter was really tight with Jesus. Peter was Jesus' homeboy. Okay? All right? And so, Paul, this isn't Paul from Peter, Paul, and Mary. If I had a hammer. I mean, he's just not doing poetry. So what is it that would cause this egghead, nerdy guy, this, this Pharisee of Pharisees, to break forth in a little ditty? He's been talking chapter after chapter about God's plan of salvation. He's been talking about God's plan to save people, to save people from sin and death. And, and 
and he breaks forth in this this uh, early hymn. Some people call it a hymn. Some people call it poetry. Call it whatever you want. Uh, it's just plain weird, but it makes perfect sense. In the first century, every week in the synagogue, they would have read aloud something very similar to what Paul just breaks forth in poetry saying. And it comes from Psalm 50, verse 10. And it says this, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. They would quote this every week in synagogue. And you and I hear that, and you and I think, that is so awesome. My God is awesome. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. And whenever I need something, that cattle is available there for me. And God's going to provide for me. And while that thought is true, in that particular verse, are you and I mentioned explicitly? No. No, all God says is, uh, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And in case we miss the point, he puts it more bluntly in Deuteronomy 10. God says this, Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. I own it all, is what he's saying. Everything in that video, every planet, our, everything on our planet, belongs to God. Everything in the solar system belongs to God. Everything in the universe is his. Why does he make that claim? Well, he claims to have made it. Right? And so he looks at everything that is and he says, mine. And he made it out of nothing. That's what we Christians believe. Ex nihilo is the theological word for it. We believe that it came out of nothing. I know artists and builders. I know some really good builders. This is how it works. They can create amazing things and they'll draw up plans and the, the, the Ford pickups start arriving. And then the big trucks with the gravel and the earth movers boop, 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 and the smelly stuff and the dust. But those builders are limited by resources, time, budgets, and they need raw materials to make something. Artists can create amazingly beautiful things, but again, they're limited by the time, resources available, and they need raw materials in order to make something. Uh, I love the way Matt Chandler describes God creating everything, and he talks about it in this book called The Explicit Gospel. This is what Matt Chandler writes. Of God's own transcendent and self-sufficient creativity, God said to the heavenly host, I'm going to create the universe. And, of course, the heavenly host said, what's a universe? And after he filled them in on the new creative space to house the new creative works, they said, well, that sounds awesome, God, but what are you going to make out of it? To that, God replied, I'll make it out of myself, saying, universe. And the universe was formed. Maybe then he said, I'm going to make some planets now. Ping, ping. And the angel said, planet? What's a planet? And God said, planet, poof, and the planets appeared. I love that little description. That's ex nihilo. God is not limited by anything. And so when he made all that stuff, he simply says, I want this, poof, and there it is. Now think about that for a moment. There is a being powerful enough to simply wish something into existence. Whoa, 
So verse 35, coming back to this Romans passage, Paul says this. Paul says, and who has given God so much that God needs to pay it back? You cannot put God into your debt. You and I have nothing to give God that God doesn't already own, according to the Bible. You and I can't say to God, hey, look, God, I showed up at church as if that impresses God. Or look, God, I gave $20 or $1,000 or a million dollars. You and I can't say, look, God, I stuffed boxes at the food pantry. Or look, look, I'm going to give you, like, I'm going to take a whole week and go on a missions trip just for you, God. Time, our lives, our very breath, everything that's filled in our homes, he looks at it and he says, mine. And so it's kind of weird that we think that we can negotiate with this all-powerful being, and yet we do it all the time, don't we? We, we? we think we can negotiate with God, but he already owns everything we already have. Acts 17:25 puts it this way. I know we're doing a lot of Bible flipping for here, but I wanted you to get the sense of, of, the, of what, what he's saying here. Human hands cannot serve God's needs, for God has no needs. What? I am not served by human hands, God would say. I have no needs. But we go about our lives as if we can negotiate with this all-powerful being, or as if the Christian walk is this 50-50 thing. God part, our part. God our part. And we kind of partner in this thing. Or as if God's some kind of cosmic vending machine. And we can just go, okay, I was faithful this year. Here's my faithfulness. Ooh, blessing. Oh. And we think that. And it's the weirdest thing. And yet the Bible kind of makes it clear that God owes us nothing. Again, let's go back to this passage from Romans 11. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who, can, who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for what? His glory. All glory to him forever. Some people in America today teach that God was lonely. And that the reason God made people is because God was kind of lonely. And he needed companionship. I've read them. Uh, if you read the Bible, that's not the case at all. But they teach that, that, uh, they teach that God is somehow lonely and that, and that God needs humanity. God needs that companionship. In a way, it's as if God is saying, you complete me. Right? I know. And some of you are going, what? That is crazy smack talk. I know. And yet it's there in America today. But it's not in the Bible. Remember... I am not served by human hands. I have no needs. See, the Bible is the story of God. And a lot of Americans on this day, on this Sunday, show up in in churches all across America and, and we think these kinds of things. Man, the music today is just too twangy or it's too loud, or I really like it when Gary leads. I don't like it when David leads. Or, and, and, or they'll show up and they'll go, in most churches, the sermon is too long. And trust me, it is. It goes on like 55 minutes. 
but these preachers are convinced it's okay. Fifty, it's something, and they show up, and it's too, it's too hot. Why don't they turn on the air? Can we not afford air conditioning? And then the ones in the Baptist churches, where the preachers in a suit and tie, you know, because all the women show up like it's summer, and then they go into the building, and it's winter. Okay, or or the phrase that comes up most regularly, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of this. Pause. What do all those statements about showing up to worship God say about what we really think worship is? Who's worship about? What does those statements say? Where those statements to me say worship is about me. If there really is an all-powerful being who can read your thoughts, what must God think of that? Seriously. So today, I simply wanted to remind you that God is all-powerful and completely self-sufficient. Doesn't need you, doesn't need me, doesn't need anything. He's perfectly happy in himself, in his Trinitarian form, whatever that means. And when you and I show up on a Sunday... We worship that all-powerful God, that self-sufficient God. And when you wake up tomorrow and you wiggle your toes and you have mobility, that God gave you life. And when you take a sip of coffee, that God provided that for you. And when you go about meals for the day with really little effort, or you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and complain about it, even though most of the people on the continent of Africa are starving to death, that God provided that for you. I mean, I could go on, right? God is worth worshiping. And it's wise to remember that God is bigger, yes, a little terrifying, but wonderful. It's only when you understand and grasp how big and powerful and terrifying God is that stuff like grace and mercy and love makes sense. And then all of a sudden, those things and the gospel and the fact that God, who doesn't need us, chose to become one of us and die so that we could know him and enjoy him forever. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa. And so in that sense... I want to invite you to worship some more today. And I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. And while they're coming up, I want to say a prayer. God, I read these passages. I'm reading a lot in the Minor Prophets these days. Uncle, uncle, uncle. And I, I totally get it when people say things like, I am undone. Or when they're absolutely scared and you have to say, don't be afraid. Oh, really? It's you. But God, it is a good thing to be in your house. It is a good thing to worship you. You are good. And you are worth praising. Father, I ask that we would not lose sight of how big and powerful and self-sufficient and wonderful and marvelous and unfathomable you are so that we never lose sight of what grace and love and mercy really mean. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for life itself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.